So today we're, conti- we're going to be talking about really what God has been doing, and that is redeeming us. God, we celebrated today how God has redeemed these students, how God has brought them. The Bible tells us from death into life, right, that we were dead in our sins, but in Jesus Christ that we are made alive uh, because we are an Easter people and we celebrate that today. One time, Jesus was, uh, he was getting, found himself in a little bit of trouble with the religious leaders, as he sometimes did, and it was for the number one reason that they gave him grief. It was because in their mind he was too friendly with sinners. He spent too much time around them. He didn't really have any business doing this stuff. But of course Jesus, Jesus knew that he was sent to seek and to save the lost. And so he tells three stories, uh, kind of just bam, 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 to make his point, right? It was an important point because he tells three right in a row. Uh, the first of, of a shepherd who had 100 sheep, and he lost one, so he leaves the 99 in the fold, and he goes out and he finds that one. The one out of 100 matters that much to him. And then he tells the story of a woman who had 10 coins, and this was no small thing. This might have been her, her life savings. And she, she loses one of them, and she doesn't say, ah, oh, that's just 10%. No, she sweeps the house till she finds that thing, and then there's great rejoicing. And then finally, he tells a story about a father who has two sons, and he loses one of them. One of them walks away from him. And, and we're going to look at that story today because it's such an important story, a, a life-changing story. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes people make irresponsible decisions. And this is a story of somebody who made the most incredibly irresponsible decision that you could possibly imagine. Luke 15, verse 11, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. Uh, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) You must not be familiar with how inheritances work, son, because that's not how you get them, you know? And, And to us, this seems ridiculous. To them, it was even more ridiculous, the way their legal system worked. See, the oldest son would get two-thirds. The younger son would get one-third, right? And they were responsible for kind of running the family business, perpetuating this is what we do as a family, right? So you don't just cash out, okay? And inheritance is not just a check you're supposed to take. This is like supposed to impact the way you live as part of the family. Some scholars have said that when the son said this, when the son said this, that it was essentially like looking at dad and saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I want out. You don't matter. I just, I just want the money, and I'm out of here. Imagine how painful this must have been for dad. This isn't just like a financial issue. This is a deep, heartfelt, painful issue for him. We'll know from the rest of the story that the dad was quite wealthy, Uh, He had servants, he had land, he had extra stuff around the house. So in our terms, this would be at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that this son was asking for. He's probably a teenager, right? (laughs) I mean, we love our compromands, but can you imagine giving him like hundreds of thousands of dollars? Like, good luck with your life, guys. Probably not. That doesn't seem overly responsible, okay? But that's exactly what happens in this situation. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. 
For reasons unstated, we don't know why, but the dad actually says yes to this crazy request, liquidates a third of his stuff, and gives it to his son. The father lets him go. He doesn't follow him. He doesn't chase him down. He doesn't, uh, you know, right there, he just lets him go. I imagine that he stood at the porch and watched him disappear into the distance. I wonder if he stood there for hours that day, tears in his eyes. He never thought he'd see a day this painful. He never thought he'd see his son walk out like this, but that's exactly what he did. The son's not ready for what he's walking into. He's not ready for this kind of responsibility. No, verse 13, a few days later, the son packed up his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there wasted all his money on wild living. And this might have taken some time, okay? This, this might not, this probably didn't happen just overnight. But, but he goes there. Imagine a, a kid with, with little wisdom, six or seven figures of money, and he goes to Vegas, right? So he's staying at Caesar's Palace. He's eating at all the five-star restaurants, right? He buys the shiny cars to attract the shiny girls. He's throwing the party. He's picking up the tab for everybody. He's like, he's the party king. Everybody loves him. He's so much fun to be around. He's got all the friends, all the trappings of this life, and that's how he's living it. He's traded his identity as son for this new identity as party king. This is his life now. But eventually, the party king runs out of money because that's just how it goes. It happens sometimes, and it actually happens at the worst possible time says this, at this time, at the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. In our terms, as soon as his money ran out, uh, Silicon Valley Bank went belly up, and the stock market went down, and oh boy, nobody really wants to help him, right? He persuaded a, a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boys, the boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. The party king trades in his status here for like the lowest level job at the Burger King, right? But it's not even really, it's actually worse than that. Because if you are a Jewish boy, there is no worse job than tending the pigs. There's no lower job than that, for pigs were unclean animals, you weren't supposed to touch them. You weren't supposed to eat them. You know, this is, this is the ceremonial part of the Old Testament law, which bacon lovers agree we're thankful for Jesus, right? Amen. <laughs> but you're not supposed to mess with pigs, okay? You're not supposed to be feeding pigs. So here this kid is out here. He's feeding pigs. He's starving. He's so desperate that pig food looks good to him. That's a really low point, you know? That's as low as you can get. If you were a Jewish person hearing this story, you're like, wow, this guy has truly hit rock bottom. There's no, there's no worse place than you can be than this kid right now. And he's hopeless, He spent all his inheritance. This is what was supposed to sustain him, to give him a job throughout the rest of his life. He's got no marketable skills. He's out of money. He's starving to death in a foreign land surrounded by pigs. It just doesn't get any worse than this. So one day, he comes to his senses. He's sitting there with the pigs, and he starts thinking about dad. 
he starts thinking about home. And he realizes that like the lowest guy in dad's house, the lowest servant in dad's house has it way better than he has it. You know, the, the, the guy who was tasked with like cleaning up the kitchen after he and his bratty brother had a food fight, right? That guy's got it better than he does because that guy's got food in his belly. That guy's got clothes. He doesn't have to tend pigs, right? And it hits him. He's fallen lower than he could ever imagine. So he makes a plan. And it's a tough plan. It's tough because he's going to have to go back home and he's going to say to dad, I was wrong. Those words aren't easy to say, you know. It's not easy to admit that this was a dumb decision leaving home, you know. Shouldn't have done this. This isn't who he's supposed to be. Sometimes, sometimes our lives don't change because we're unwilling to admit that we're wrong. We're unwilling to admit that we've screwed up and that we need forgiveness, that we need redemption. It's hard to do that. But the only way he believes, the only way out of this is to go home and to ask if somehow he could be a servant, not a son. I mean, it would be ridiculous. You told dad you wish he were dead. You took a third of his money. You spent it all on partying. How do you go back? You don't just go back to that identity as a son anymore, surely. Maybe I could just get a job. Maybe I could just get a job. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This verse, and it, it wrecks me every time I read it, because it is so ridiculous. It, it really is. I mean, it's so ridiculous. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. Like, this is the son who said, I wish you were dead, right? Like, it doesn't get any lower than that. This is the son who takes care of pigs. He smells like pigs, right? This is the son who's been off. He's, he's blown a third of, your, of everything that you've ever worked for. And, and Jewish men in that society, they, they, they sat kind of at the top of society. And so if you're a dad, you don't run after your son. That would be considered undignified. If he wants to come back here, he can march his own rear end back here, okay? We don't run after him. And when he arrives, he justifiably could get a slam door in his face. That's what he's got coming, okay? That's what he deserves, if you will. That would seem fair and right. But the father's not going to give him what seems fair and right. He's going to give him what is loving and gracious, that which is loving and gracious. He hugs his skinny, pig manure-smelling son and kisses him. Wow. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned both against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. <laughs> and the father interrupts him right there, like, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Quick, get the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Get sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost but is now 
found. So the party began. The celebration began. It, Dad, he, he blows off the son's speech. He's like, no, you are a member of the family. You're my son. You can never be a servant, okay? That's not how it works. Sonship is not something that you earn or deserve. It is something that is freely given. So you don't deserve it now. You didn't deserve it then. It's a free gift. The father ran. He kissed. He redeemed. It's given in spite of everything that he's done. This redemption, it's not qualified. It's not like, well, if you improve your behavior, then perhaps you could be, nope. (laughs) You're my son. You're here. You're loved. You're redeemed. End of story. End of story. The tattered and worn clothes are covered with the best garment that we've got. The sandals are placed on the bare feet that had walked so many miles on this difficult journey home. The ring is put on his finger, signifying that he's a son. He's a member of the family. He's got standing, okay? Servants don't get the nice clothes. They don't get sandals, and they don't get rings because you are not a servant. You can't be a servant. You are my son. Nothing you can do can stop me from loving you. Nothing you can do can stop me from accepting you as my son. This is the Father's love. So let's celebrate. Let's fill that skinny stomach up with the fatted calf. Because you were dead. And now you were alive. The son receives an instant dramatic promotion of circumstances. I love how Paul says it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. This is what God offers you today. You see, this story, it's not just a story of somebody a long time ago. This is my story. It's your story. It's the story of every sinner who finds Jesus Christ. For all of us, we messed up. We sinned. We, we rejected God. We were living it our own way. We we're telling God, God, my ways are better than your ways, so I'm not really interested. I'm out. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, If you're here and you've got stuff, whether now or whether in your past, stuff you've messed up, sins, embarrassments, screw-ups, I want you to know that there's a grace that is greater than all your sin. You are not defined by your worst moments. You're not. No, you're defined by the love of your Father, by the grace of of God, by his incredible forgiveness, that's what defines you. Nothing less than that. Nothing less than that. There's no sin that's beyond his forgiveness. There's no place we can run away that's too far off. There's no distant land that we can't come back from by his grace because the fact is God is always pursuing you. He's always chasing you down. He's always seeking you because he loves you. Because you are his daughter, you are his son, and he's drawing you back. He's drawing you back. He wants you to have that kind of relationship with him. There's no sin 
that he can't forgive. And you know, the story gives us one more thing. It doesn't end there, interestingly. Jesus tells this story of, or continues the story with the, the older brother, right? Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and, and he asked one of the servants to, what was going on. Your brother's back, and your father has killed the calf we were fattening and prepared a great feast. We're celebrating because of his safe return. But the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've worked for you, worked hard for you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate him by killing the finest calf we have. Dad, What's wrong with you? Come on. This doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I was doing what is good, and he gets a party? He goes off, and he's, he lives his lifestyle partying and squandering everything you've got, and he comes back, and what do we do? Oh, another party. That makes sense. I've been here working my tail off for you. You don't do much for me. We get a little self-righteous sometimes, don't we? we? We ignore our own sin and we look at the sins of others and, oh, they're, yeah, they're so much worse than me, certainly. And it betrays the fact that we don't understand the Father's grace. Is the Father's grace limited? Just because he loves and forgives one son, does that mean it's any less for the other? no. No, it's actually quite the opposite. For this son has been with the father. He's close with the father. He has the father's provisions. He's been living in this all this time. The father tells him, verse 31, Look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is yours. That's true. Younger son already got his inheritance, so everything you see here is yours. We're going to celebrate this happy day. Why? Because your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Wow. This story challenges us in so many ways. It, first, it invites us into relationship with Jesus, the most important decision that we could ever make. And second, it reminds us of our need to be people of grace, right? And we all believe that we are people of grace until it gets uncomfortable for us, right? We're good with it. Until the person comes to the church who doesn't look like me or act like me or vote like me or think like me. We're good with it until the kid comes to the youth group with the alcohol problem. We're good with it until things get uncomfortable for us because a person at work we don't like comes in and, oh, I don't know about that person. Can't they go somewhere else for crying out loud? It's easy. Every one of us, it's easy to fall into that position of being the older brother. So I ask you today, friends, where do you see yourself in this story? Because we're all there. What does redemption look like for you? I want to invite you to just close your eyes for a couple minutes with me. I'm going to reflect on that.
for some, maybe you're here today, and you realize that you're just a long way off from God the Father. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Because you see, friends, we're not like automatically part of God's family. It's a choice that he gives us. He doesn't force you, okay? And it's not mom and dad's faith, grandma and grandpa's faith, or anybody else's faith that saves you. It's your own choice. It's a personal decision that, that we make. And I invite you today, let today be the day of salvation where you give your life to Jesus, where you say yes to his grace and receive that. Maybe for others, you've been around the house with dad, but you've wandered off. You've said yes to Jesus at some point or another. Maybe you saw the students up here this morning. You remember your confirmation. You remember how much this used to mean to you, but quite frankly, you've gotten off track. Well, the Father's calling you back. He's welcoming you today. Maybe you see yourself in the prodigal, that you didn't mean it to be this way. You're a really good person. You're trying really hard. But boy, it sure is tough sometimes. It's tough to celebrate when we see some of those prodigals coming back. And we're not proud of that, but it's deep inside of us. Forgive us. And maybe for you, this story just hits really close to home. Because you know what it's like to have a child or grandchild out there. You pray for them every day. You've been doing it a long time. Maybe you walk by their room with tears in your eyes. You know what that's like. Wherever it is, friends, that you find you're needed for redemption, I'm going to do two things today. First of all, I'm going to pray. And second, during this last song, I'm going to invite you to come forward. We're going to do some things a little different. We're going to have our prayer partners come forward. I'll be up here. You may, if you've never decided to give your life to Jesus, I want you to come forward and to say yes to him. It is the best decision you can ever make. I want you to follow the lead of our teens who boldly affirm their faith in Jesus today. And I want to invite you to do the same, to come forward and pray with somebody. And if, if you're here and maybe you've kind of walked, wandered off and you need some prayer, we come, you may come forward as well. We want to pray for you. And, and if you're here and you're struggling with the older brother thing, hey, I get it. We all do. We'd love to pray for you. That the Lord would draw you close. And finally, if you're here and you've got a prodigal in your life, I want to invite you to come forward and we want to pray for that person or those people. We believe in the power of prayer. There's really nothing better we can do. So we're going to pray during this song and we'll pray, we'll keep praying after the service if need be, however much time we need, because we believe in this. Come, Holy Spirit. Move in this place. Draw us close to you, Lord. 
with the one who's been running, Lord. May today be the day where they say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord because I trust just what, like what we sang earlier. I trust in the power of your cross, your blood, that you gave your life for me. You paid the price I could never pay. Forgive me. Lord, for those who are struggling with the older brother thing, help us to be people of love and grace. Love and grace. And God, for those of us who have prodigals on our hearts, draw them back, Lord. And help us to never cease to be faithful in prayer. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.